So once those bugs started coming out, it, I, I did a couple of stupid nights where I cowboy camped or something um, for one reason or another. Not good reasons either. And yeah, basically from three quarters of the way to the end, I was tenting for the most time. But early on, I did not use my tent that much. And that's just because I think when you get to the shelter, you know, you arrive, you're tired, you just want to get all your stuff, you want to eat some food, take care of your chores like water. Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is The Machine, known off-trail as Joey Lean. He was so excited to start the AT that he hiked 31 miles that first day, and so began the start of the adventure life. In this episode, we talk food and more food pizza buffets and hiker pad thai and other things you can mix peanut butter with. And let's not forget the story of how May kicked his ass. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with The Machine. Joey? Hi. You have sort of been on this life of adventure, I guess I could call it, since 2017 from from the sounds of it. Yeah, basically once I started the AT, it was was like I never got off trail. I just kept walking into different things. You became a a version of Forrest Gump running? Uh, Yeah, kind of, I guess. I think it's just more of that my idea of what the AT was and what I was going to do with it um, was different than the reality of what it was going to be. It was more of like I thought I would do the AT and then I would settle back down in Maine and then proceed with college, go back to school, get a degree in something, and then go forward in life from there. Uh, but that's not what happened. So what were you doing before you went to the AT or got on the AT? I was working in a warehouse at Best Buy. I was basically just doing warehouse work, like packaging stuff and handling backroom orders, all that kind of stuff. And then I just decided I wanted to do something cool over the summer because I had just been spending my whole life in Maine not really doing much, not really ever leaving the state. And how did you hear about the AT? I heard about the AT because I met this one guy who had through hiked and he was hanging out with my friend. And at that time, I didn't care really at all. So I just kind of brushed it off. But one of my goals was to climb uh, Mount Katahdin, which is the, the highest mountain in Maine and obviously the end of the trail going northbound so 
I thought, ah, what if I just started Katahdin from the very beginning in Georgia <laughs> and then climbed it? Yeah, so that was that was my whole idea behind that. But I didn't have any experience. Like maybe I went on three hikes in my entire life mm-hmm. and never did any backcountry camping, never did any backpacking. So I spent the probably about from September to March doing research and figuring out how I would proceed and what I would need to do and just making sure I would be uh, safe. So what did your research tell you? I think my, it's, it's funny how it's, it seems like something that never happened anymore, but. Um, Probably at this point, everything that you did on the trail and, and, how you did things and stuff like that is probably so ingrained that you don't even think about it anymore. It's muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. It's like all those things that I learned, that's, that's just what you should do basically. Mm -hmm. But what did, what, so what did your research tell you? And then what did you actually learn on the trail? Right. So what my research told me was that, um, just to be prepared for, you know, anything bad that could happen. I, I made sure I had, uh, proper sleeping equipment and, and just stuff to keep me alive in case it got really cold. And then the reality of that was if it's really cold, you, you can survive. You just got to keep hiking. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's, it's more of, you don't have to subject yourself to the, the brutality that can come along. Mm-hmm. And I think I think a lot of the, a lot of the research I did was very applicable. Like I I went in with an open mind, uh, and I tried not to think too far ahead. I think I think the reality is you have that that goal in your mind of the end, but while you're hiking, the goal just becomes all right. Next next town, on to the next town, mm-hmm. and then like maybe you have like the next state that's kind of looming over you. I think it's different on the Appalachian Trail compared to the Pacific Crest Trail, where you have only three states as opposed to fourteen. Absolutely, that that would definitely make a difference. Yeah, I think I think there's a, a mentality thing of just being like, "Oh, I'm I'm getting so close to the next state," but I'm sure the PCT has some equivalents of getting to this next like awesome part. Like they have those those trail angels that do all that stuff in mm-hmm. the desert. And then obviously you're looking towards getting uh, to the high Sierras. But I think with the AT, it, it's very much um, a community driven thing. And I think the biggest thing I didn't expect was how much trail magic there was going to be when I started out. When you say trail magic, what was the form of that for you? Well, I think the first week I had, like every day in Georgia, there was some sort of serendipitous moment. And it was always just, I mean, it was right at kickoff. So I didn't plan on starting at kickoff. It just kind of happened. And the, the trail magic I saw was just all these people. They knew a bunch of hikers were starting. So they had all of these like little um, barbecues and um, tables set up just to, you know, meet with these hikers. I think I think some of these people, to be honest, were not just meeting with hikers, but also like advertising their brand or their YouTube channels. So there's a little <laughs> bit of that going on. Um, but they were, they were all AT hikers. The, the through hikers were their demographic. Yeah, basically like, Oh, we could definitely get some followers from these guys. But I mean, as far as like a, an economic sense goes, they're definitely giving back to the trail in that way. And mm-hmm. they, they can benefit a little bit from it. 
but it was it was it was so rad. Like I I one of the things that actually here's one of the things that I learned was don't carry too much food because I spent from Georgia to the first like 110 miles uh, on my first resupply. I went about 10 days on my first resupply, and that was not necessary. That's a lot of weight to carry. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> even with all of your research. Yeah, even with a lot of my research, you still go in a little cautious. Mm-hmm. But my, I think the defining moment for me was on my first day because I, even in my research, I'm still kind of like a go with the flow kind of person. I basically took a bus from Maine to uh, Georgia and that took me three days. And by the time I got to Georgia, I was just so tired. I didn't feel like figuring things out uh, immediately. So I dropped some money on a hotel room and went to sleep because <laughs> I was just exhausted from this three day long bus ride. And then when I woke up, it was 2 a.m. and I was so anxious to get started. I was still 42 miles away from Springer. I just started walking towards the mountain down the road from Gainesville towards Springer. And I made it about halfway. And then that was when walking? I finally resigned myself to hitchhiking. Yeah, I just did a nice 21 mile road walk on my first day. Your pre-first day even. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, yeah, like pre, like it's like days, day one like or 0.5, I guess, mm-hmm. because I around 9 a.m. I got a ride. I finally gave up and said I was going to hitchhike and I'm like not knowing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'm just sticking my thumb out and then like pulling it back every time someone drives by. <laughs> so I'm kind of scared. You know, it's like ever. what's ingrained in my head was that uh, someone's going to murder me with a chainsaw. And eventually this green truck pulled over and this guy named Dave got out and he asked me all about that, all about what I was doing, if I was in any danger, if I needed help. And uh, I basically told him like a little synopsis of what was going on. He's like, okay, you can get in. Uh, just let me move my chainsaw out of the passenger seat. <laughs> And that's exactly what he did. He had a chainsaw, but that dispelled my fears right there. Mm-hmm. And Dave ended up buying me subway and actually giving me money when he dropped me off at the intersection where I eventually got a ride to the top of the mountain. And that was just my first day. So like if, if there was anything that could have pushed me forward or convinced me that I made a good choice, uh, that was it. It was all going to be okay somehow. Exactly. Everything is going to be okay in the end. You'll figure it out. How were you before the trail at believing in or leaning on your figure out ability? Hmm. I guess I was moderately confident. No, I I would say I'm a little confident in figuring things out. I just kind of, I never had to rely on people before. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's necessarily relying on someone or just accepting um, offers and being um, gracious about it. But I, I guess I, I always thought of myself as an independent person. So I would rather not burden anyone with my own troubles and I would do things on my own. Like my, my training for the AT was just through the month of February. I was walking to and from work every day. And it was seven and a half miles one way. And I just allowed my time to do that. It was basically two hours of walking one way every day in the winter in Maine. (laughs) 
So basically what you're saying is that you were the urban legend walking uphill in the winter, in the snow. <laughs> Both ways. Yeah, uh, I, I pretty much. Your grandfather would be jealous. I know. Exactly. <laughs> so with that first ride from Dave, did was that kind of what opened you up to accepting the, I guess, the magic of the trail, but also the that that human element of of giving and and uh, accepting yeah yeah definitely i think um having having someone do that for me so early on really eased my mind cuz there's just there's so much like there's just so much kindness on the trail we, all these people there are a lot of trail angels um and they're mostly there to help they they don't expect you to give back to them. And I think it's, that's part of um, what made it easy. I feel like I would get an anxious feeling if I felt like I was indebted to this person. I did give Dave my, his, my number, but I never ended up hearing from him. So, you know, I guess it's one of those things where it's like, well, I got to pay that forward somehow. And I think that's just like the traveler's life. I think uh, the through hike is just a, an extreme form of traveling and it, a lot of travelers, whether you're hitchhiking or doing a, like a cycling trip, they have those experiences of um, generosity and, and their own form of trail magic. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. How, this is just my, my, my curiosity, I guess, but cause I know I find it really hard as you're saying to, to, accept help from somebody and then basically sort of reward that help by just saying, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Cause you always want to either give back or you, again, you say you don't want to be indebted. How long did that take mm-hmm. to be able to just say, thank you so much? Um, I think it took me a couple of months and then you get to this point on the trail where you're just so tired. You don't care anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it took me a couple of months of just writing these people's names down. And like, if I had their information, I would do that. I didn't try to get everyone's number name, but I met a few people that would give me like their card or something. Mm -hmm. And I do remember those, those really standout uh, interactions. And it's mostly the trail trail angels or former through hikers. A lot of the people that pick you up are just, you know, they know about the thing. They know about the AT. And they just, yeah, I'll help this hiker out. I got, I got room. Some mm-hmm. people are just bored and they want someone to talk to for a few minutes. <laughs> I feel like the, the stories are what, how I pay them back in a way. I've actually heard that from other people as well, that, that for the, the time that you're in the car with them or whatever, you're, you're sort of providing entertainment and that's your. Yeah, exactly. You're just, you're kind of like, mm-hmm, you're, you're just that unusual thing that happened in their day. Mm-hmm. So they'll, they'll go on with their day and they'll tell somebody, yeah, I did the craziest thing today. Yeah, exactly. You just, you just opened their mind a little bit. I guess I, I know that the trail and being on the trail is so much more than we can probably ever conceive of from the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. But how was it compared? How was the actual doing of it compared to your expectation of it? So from what I, from what I was experiencing to what I was expecting, I think 
my expectations and this applies to the Appalachian trail specifically right. because the expectation was like, I'm going to be climbing mountains. I'm going to be getting these grandiose views. I'm going to connect with the earth. What the reality was, was I was basically working a nine to five job, except with a little, a couple of twists, like, it was more, it was more monotonous and those mountain peaks I thought I would be climbing up. They were, they were bringing you just close enough to the top of the mountain before they send you down and you don't even reach the top. It's just like a disappointment sometimes. And that's when people are telling me all this stuff about pointless ups and downs. And as I progressed, that's when I started to understand it's a lot of work. And that's the thing is it's it's definitely a vacation, but it's still a job and you're not getting paid for it. But you go back and do it again in a heartbeat. Um, I would go back and do something else. Uh, I think Bob Peoples said that there are too many trails out there to be doing the AT over and over again. Mm. No offense if you like doing the Appalachian Trail, though. There's, I know this. there was this one guy I met who was on his 10th through hike and uh, he just had all these friends that he would visit on his through hikes. He would be tired. <laughs> but I, I do think I would rather do other stuff like the PCT. That's what I want to do next year. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, it sounds like from what I can tell, like you got to Maine, you got to Katahdin and then kind of is what we were, what I was alluding to before you continued the adventure and you just kept traveling. Yeah, kind of. I went back to work cause I had, I didn't have as much money, but okay. I knew there was one thing that was looming over me and it's when everyone says post-trail depression, it's very much a real thing. And I kind of wish I had like a, a micro adventure right after I got back to like kind of bring me back down to earth. It was very much, um, a quick snap back to reality. I, I took maybe like a week off and then went back to working. And the week I took off was like spending my last last few days with some of my trail family before we all parted ways and our, you know, our next time together, who knows when that will happen. Did you have a plan for doing something before you finished the trail or were you always just going to go back to work and no, I did not have a plan. I I just didn't think of like doing something. I don't think I would have, I I mean, I could have had some time and I definitely, I took six months off, but it ended Mm -hmm. up taking me five months. So I could have, um, relaxed a little bit and then maybe gone on, like maybe gone further up. Cause I mean, I'm I'm not too far away from Katahdin, like maybe an hour and a half drive. I could have gone back to that or I could have road tripped up into Canada. I did do a couple of uh, hikes. Like I did, I I did a couple of nostalgia hikes. You know, I went back Mm to, um, Franconia Ridge, which is one of my favorite parts in New Hampshire. And I hiked that in the fall and that was an amazing experience, but that was while I was still working. And I, I got to go there, um, just by sort of a fortunate coincidence where I had time off and I had a meeting that they were training me for a geek squad down in, uh, one of the towns in New Hampshire. So when did you pull the ripcord and start and, and go and, and adventure. So, um, a couple of dudes I was hiking with Darwin, mostly he's kind of like the guy who inspires you to. Is this Darwin on the go trail? on an adventure? 
No, different Darwin. Okay. But probably just as tall. Um, <laughs> okay. Cool, cool, cool guy, but um, not that Darwin. <laughs> no. But he basically sent out the um, the call to arms. He wanted to go uh, do a week-long backpacking trip in Zion National Park in Utah, plus a day in Bryce Canyon. And immediately I was like, yes, please. And my job did not like, my my company did not like that. They didn't want me going on another uh, little trip, uh, especially close to you know, the winter season Mm -hmm. where retail is absolute chaos and, um, busy. And I was basically like, I'm going to do this. And they say, if you do that, then we're not going to have a job for you. So I quit Mm -hmm. my job and went out to do that. And my goal, like that was when I started getting a little, a little crazy and a little confident about my ability to travel. Cause I got a ride down to New Jersey with one of my friends met up with um, my hiking partner on the trail and I stayed with her family for a few days. And then I went over to Philly, met up with another uh, trail friend I made, flew to Denver, spent a few days there and I was basically sleeping in the airport and then did a little bit of hitchhiking West, but I had to end up taking a bus to meet up with those two. Basically from when I quit my job to when we were starting uh, that backpacking trip, I had probably about two weeks. So I wanted okay. to just pull around a little bit. And then I ended up getting really sick. And because of that, I had to go home, find a temporary job. And while I was searching for that temporary job or um, the next temporary job, I got this job posting for Juno, Alaska. And I had made some jokes that I was going to be working in Alaska over the summer, but suddenly fate had just put the carrot in the stick on the stick in front of my face. And I, I had to chase it. <laughs> it's like, okay, so you said it. How did you mean it? Yeah. Yeah, basically. And I, I, I wanted a cool summer job. That was the thing is I did the AT and I'm like, all right, now I want to do something cool for the summer. Cause all the people I hung out with, they all had these awesome experiences traveling and doing stuff out in the world. I was thinking about doing some woofing as well. So what? Like volunteer farm work, they, woofing. What is that? It's like, so there's this, there's this website and I think it's just called woof.com and it's W-W-O-O-F, I believe. And basically you um, trade work for accommodation and food on like organic farms or other places around the world and the United States. Mm. And yeah, it's basically just doing uh, farm work uh, for as, as a work for stay. Right. And you, it helps you kind of get your foot in the door to that like state or country, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it costs money. And I feel like, it's more the the website itself is more of like a membership to like access to like this, this other, this network of opportunities. Okay. So yeah, I thought about that. I was just going to say, and I was just going to ask why it costs money. (laughs) Why it costs money. I think it's just because of capitalism, you know, I think they're like, Okay. okay, we got this website going on. We got all these people that are posting on us. 
let's just charge people to get access to these postings. It's a membership site, essentially. Uh, Yeah. And then I realized like, I don't need to do that. I think I'm, I'm old enough. Like, I think it's more for the kids, you know, more Mm -hmm. for the people that have just come out of high school. Granted, there are people of all ages that do it, but uh, with, with the seasonal job I have now as a, a bus driver and a tour guide, and it's like, wow, I'm, I'm making money doing this. And this job is super like rewarding. It's pretty fun. And it's an, a beautiful drive. It's so amazing. Every day is just mind blowing scenery. And that was what I wanted. And I wanted to just like basically tell people about how awesome the world was. And that's kind of what I do. I do that. And as well as some historical uh, bullshit, but it's, you're just appeasing tourists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is my job. But hopefully inspiring them to maybe see Alaska or the world a little bit like you're seeing it. Yeah. I kind of like underlying everything. That's what I really hope. I, if one person does a through hike because they went on my tour and they were inspired, I will feel so good about that. Uh, and I've had people I've had, a, I've definitely connected with people. I try not to go I try not to just spend all like a bunch of time driving back, telling them about how awesome traveling is uh, <laughs> because I've gotten people that have just had like this look of sadness in their eyes. Like they have missed something in life and they regret it now. And I'm like, Ooh, that's, Ooh, that was bad. <laughs> but they do appreciate that. I think um, just to live vicariously through someone who is doing something like that. Well, and it's never too late to get the travel bug. Right, exactly. Or the adventure bug. That's what I always say. Yeah, it's never too late. But I met that there was that one guy. I think he was. The, I think he is still the oldest person who did who did the AT Graybeard. I met him on the when I went to Monson. When I got to Monson, I saw him, and I didn't know who he was. Uh, but he was wearing his own face on a, his T-shirt, so I was like, <laughs> "Who's this narcissist?" <laughs> and then I realized that it was that like eighty-six-year-old man who was through hiking. I was like, "Oh, holy crap! That guy is badass!" And he did the Mississippi River too. Man, I hope I'm that person. If I make it that far, I want to be graybeard. Did you get a chance to talk to him at all? No, not really. I um, was meeting up with my family actually, because Monson is basically I could. Go if you went to Bangor, just drive forty minutes to Monson, and you're on the AT. I've been passing this town my whole life. I had no idea that it was part of the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> I thought Maine was one of those funny things for me because I had all these trail connections I did not know existed. Is it is it interesting to have sort of the world? I almost want to say like the world revealed. I almost think a little bit like you know, the lion, the witch in the wardrobe where it's like you open the door and this other world awaits you on the other side that you never even knew existed. Yeah, exactly. I, I said, see what I say is it's taking the red pill, like the matrix oh, you where go. you just yeah. go right. In. And it was like that. It was very much, my eyes had been opened because when I got to Monson, I went up to Moosehead Lake, which is where my aunt lives. And I was seeing the mountains for the first time. I was noticing them. Mm-hmm. and like i saw the lake i was like wow this, the lake is so beautiful and i can't believe i've never appreciated appreciated all of this until now 25 years into my life yeah how how big was your trail family so man at the at the beginning it was like there was like 15 of us definitely just like hanging out having fun but then you know a few people went on ahead 
and we got down to about 10. So I think that's pretty large. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was just, it worked out though, because um, we never fought, we never argued, we just hung out, and we never like marched in this big Congo line. There was like a couple of days where it was just like, all right, let's all hike together. But for the most part, it was just kind of everyone was hiking their own hike and we were just meeting up. And there were 10 of us all the way from Hot Springs to Rutland, Vermont. And then eight of us got sucked into the Yellow Deli and spent like <laughs> two zeros there and two uh, went on and we never caught back up with them. You guys got sucked the into yellow the Yellow Deli. deli. If you don't know what that is, basically there's this, okay, there's a cult on the Appalachian Trail, and I think they're called the 12 Tribes, and they have about four locations, and the Yellow Deli is the one in Vermont, and they entice you with food, and that food is good, and they are good at enticing, and it's just like that, you know, it's that that charisma, Mm -hmm. that, that, that it's like a gentle tug to pull you into their, into their clutches. And I'm not going to say any names, but it, it was very much just like, oh, you can just set your backpacks down here. Just bring them up into the hostel. Oh, why don't you guys just stay a night? Like, just stay a night. It's, you know, it's donation based. It's easy. And then like two nights later, we're like, okay, we got to get out of here. <laughs> it's so easy to get lulled into, into sleep. Yeah, exactly. And they, they they're, they're smart. They're, they're smart. Um, well, maybe conniving is a better word, <laughs> but we were a large group. So I think we had that paste that was holding us together. Mm-hmm. So that way they couldn't like pick anyone off. And also Rutland's a really, honestly, Rutland's a really cool town. I, I would definitely say it's one of the towns worth visiting on the AT and Vermont. What a, what a state. Uh, I love Vermont and it's too bad. Vermont would have been my favorite state if it were not for um, New Hampshire and Maine. My boss is calling me, but I'm just going to ignore him right now. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I got distracted by by your boss calling. Now you, but you started the trail by yourself, obviously, because you were tra- you were migrating down from from Maine. Mm-hmm. When did you start picking people up, or when did you start forming into the trail family? So, f- from my perspective, because I was doing my own thing for about the first 200 miles, I was kind of just hiking at a faster pace than, well, not a faster pace, but I was doing more miles than a lot of people. And I met, I met, I had met a lot of these guys along the way, but it was about the smoky mountains where everyone kind of gets funneled into hot springs, North Carolina, which is the first trail you walk through. And the timing happened to be right. was a weekend a lot of people were at uh, Laughing Heart Hostel and we were all just kind of hanging out and everyone was getting to know each other and really like interact, you know, off the trail, just relaxing. And we all just, we all formed there. I, I, I know a lot of people had met up at other points, like at the knock, um, they were hiking together. Like we had um, this trio, I think it was, Glimglom, Wet Wipes, and Honey Badger. They were, they were all, t- they were together for a while, and then we kind of got collected into this one area. And the only reason I was stuck in this town 
was because I had lost my wallet at the end right. of the smoke. <laughs> and that was, that was like me. That was, there was the, the me on the trail. There was the Joey that started the trail. Uh, and then there was the Joey that probably reflected more of like my actual self or the, there was, you know, there's the machine that had begun the trail and then I lost my wallet and I became Joey again. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, was, it was a dark moment for me. How, how did you lose it and how did you get it back? <laughs> so I lost it because the the shelter scuffle in the morning, I wasn't paying attention. I had all my stuff piled up and someone had knocked my wallet off that pile and it just fell down and I didn't see it. So I just took everything. Usually it was my phone, my wallet and something else that I would keep in my pockets. And then I don't know why I had my wallet in my pocket, to be honest. Note to self. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't put your wallet in your pocket. Actually, what I did change, um, I changed my wallet system. I just started carrying all my stuff in a plastic baggie, uh, just like a little Ziploc. I feel like that was easier to not lose. But you, you kept and it all in a waterproof. Zip- yeah. You kept it in a Ziploc in your bag or somewhere else or in your, your backpack or somewhere else. Usually I would put it in the brain of my backpack and I had like an actual thick wallet, which is another thing. Like, why would I be carrying like this big, thick wallet with all these cards in it that I didn't need? Yeah, I guess it was habit. So I lost the wallet, lost all my cards, lost all my money. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That was the (laughs) lesson I learned. Definitely keep an emergency card hidden in your backpack somewhere. Mm -hmm. And And said I had my emergency card in my wallet with my regular card. <laughs> and the, the way I got it back, that was really interesting because I had lost it and I had basically given up on getting it back. Um, one of the, one of the guys I was hiking with, he actually met because he met the Rangers and not me. He was just like, Oh, I don't know this person, but that person's from Maine. So am I, that's cool. It was one of the, I think it was one of the, the trail runners in the Smoky Mountains that asked him about it. And I never called them for some reason. And then when I was in New Hampshire, we were getting a hotel and my card kept getting declined. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I still have money. So I got to figure out what's going on now. And then the next morning I called my company. And basically what they told me was someone had called them. They had my card and they told them to put it on hold you know because the it was now in their possession but they gave that person at my card company uh their information so i actually got in touch with the uh, um trail center at the in gatlinburg i want to say mm-hmm. and they had all my stuff they basically asked for my address and then they mailed it back home so i got my wallet back at the end of my through hike and it had the $35 that I left in it still in the wallet. Oh, an honorable, an honorable person found it. Yeah. Yeah. I was, that was really, uh, I appreciated that, but I was like, you know what? You could have taken that $35 and you had definitely deserved it. Like at least, <laughs> at least take $5 or something out for inconvenience. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's the people on the trail. They're amazing. How did you, did you just order new car credit card and 
and you know license and that kind of stuff for parents or um okay so yeah what i what what ended up happening was i ordered a new i had my bank send me a new card and then i had the other company the one with the emergency Mm -hmm. card send me a different card to a place further ahead because i had two different debit cards okay and one of them had like one the the other company had like a thousand dollars on that card just in case mm-hmm. whereas my bank had uh however much i had and then that that card company they never ended up sending like the, the card never arrived in hot springs so i was waiting in hot springs for my card to arrive and it never came and Irwin was where I had to go to next. And luckily I met a bunch of really cool people that basically helped by giving me food. And even a, a couple others offered to give me some money uh, just so I could resupply myself for that, the short trip to Irwin. I think it was like just a four day hike, but basically I got half the res- resupply box from this uh, one girl named boots. And that blasted me the whole four days. It was just enough. And when I got to Irwin, I, my car card was waiting at uncle Johnny's hostel. Shout out to them. And my ID, I had a couple at home. Well, I had one at home that I was based, that I told my mom to just send to me. So I had, I had some backup stuff in case something like that happened. But when I called uncle Johnny's and they told me they had my card, I literally started to run up the mountain because I was so <laughs> excited to happen. <laughs> and um oh yeah and that was that's just more of the the trail you know the trail provides that's what they mm-hmm. say that that was how yep. I, I got through that period has that faith in the trail or the trail hospitality environment uh has that translated off the trail at all for you yeah definitely i feel like i'm just more open and trusting of people now and the company that I work for, they, they are so good. They helped me out. They've, they've given me, um, draws to basically, if they have this knowledge that people that come up here mm-hmm. aren't necessarily going to be coming up to Alaska with the biggest, of uh, bank accounts. So they'll spot you some money, um, if need be. Mm-hmm. And they provide housing. And then, I've been doing, I've done a lot of hitchhiking since then. So I, I did some hitchhiking in Australia and New Zealand and I saw a lot of that as well. Um, a lot of that trail providing. I've had people take me in. I've had people just um, give me food or um, invite me in for tea, stuff like that. I'll just all around the world. People are so kind. And I've met so many other travelers who have told me the same thing about other areas like in Africa uh, and Europe and India. They had a lot of that in South America too, just people being nice. It's pretty amazing when you learn, learn is the wrong word, but, but it, it's pretty amazing when you are open to the expression of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think those are the best experiences that you gain. Um, from these adventures is being open-minded and accepting. Yeah. Cause there, there can definitely be times where things can get, there things can become weird. I've had that happen a couple of times where it's like, Ooh, I did not want this to go in this direction. 
let's let's take a step back, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't happen too often. But that's just my bias as a as a white dude. So <laughs> it, it's different for other people. Yeah. So it, it is definitely it can be scary. But I do think that those the, those horror stories that you hear are just like a once in a blue moon thing. And there are a lot more people out there hitchhiking and adventuring than, than you might actually realize. Yeah. I think we're so used to driving by them that, that to some, on some level, we don't, you don't see them. We don't see them. Right, exactly. And the stories, the urban legends, the myths, the whatever are set up to, to scare you. Right, exactly. Just people like, oh, you, what, you would hitchhike? That's crazy. And I've had people that are like, I would never pick up a hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, aren't you Mormon? Like, <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't seem very uh, love thy neighbor. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's a, there's a, there's two types of people. Like there's the, the, the hitchhikers and then the hitchhikees. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I think the, the ones that pick up hitchhikers are genuinely kind, like 99.9 or 0.5% of them are, they have good intentions and they, they see some person who might be struggling. A lot of the people that picked me up hitchhiking um, outside of the AT, they were from all over the world. Like I had people from Africa and India and countries. I don't even remember the names of Jordan, a lot of middle Easterners picked me up and it was, it was just so cool. And you get to hear their stories as well and how they got there. And I had this one guy named Victor and he was telling me about how, when he was a kid, uh, they, they would have just these venomous snakes just roaming around through their, um, their little villages or towns or whatever. And then when that snake came out, it was like the call to battle and all the kids come running out with sticks and they just start wailing on that snake, that Hmm. poisonous creature. Yeah. Uh, But I thought that was a, that was a funny story to hear. Yeah. It's interesting how, how community works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's another thing is like hearing other people's story as well. Cause the, the person who picks up the hitchhiker, they've, they've had something happen in their lives where they have had their mind opened up to the idea of helping other people out. Yeah, no, definitely. I guess switching, switching paces a little bit. What were you using for, for some of your gear out there? Like what were you using for a pack and, and that type of thing? Okay. Yeah. So. (laughs) Okay. Let's um, get down to the brass tacks of it. Right. Yeah. No, I'm going to sit up now. Um, (laughs) So I had an, I had an Osprey and I, I liked the Osprey. I got really lucky in that, uh, my, I picked the right frame. I picked the right pack. I had a 48 liter pack with a medium frame and that, that fit. It's pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, d- I did that with the intention of basically preventing myself from bringing too much. So I had the Osprey pack. I got a two person REI tent. And my idea with that two-person tent rather than a one-person tent or a hammock or a tarp setup, I picked a freestanding tent just because I didn't know what I was doing. And probably freestanding is the easiest way to to go Mm -hmm. as far as setting up a tent happens. And I wanted that little little bit of space just for myself. That way I could just splay everything out on my, my tent floor when I was 
in my tent, all nice and cozy and just surrounded by my belongings. And then I got a, do you, do you remember what the brand enlightened was? Equipment. Uh, of uh, the, tent? the tent, REI. Yeah. REI quarter dome. Yep. <laughs> Which is a good tent. And that, that made it about two years, but I had to lay it to rest in New Zealand. <laughs> Cause I just tore this giant hole into it. How much did you end up using it then, on on the AT between the shelters and? I said, <laughs> oh man, I I did not. I avoided using my tent. I maybe used it three times total um, from the start to New York, and that's when the bugs started coming out. So once those bugs started coming out, it, I I did a couple of stupid nights where I cowboy camped or something. <laughs> God. For one reason or another, not good reasons either. <laughs> and yeah, basically from three quarters of the way to the end, I was tenting for the most time. But early on, I did not use my tent that much. And that's just because I think when you get to the shelter, you know, you arrive, you're tired. You just want to get all your stuff. You want to eat some food take care of your chores like water and mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't even know if there's anything other than food and water and then setting up your tent. So I think, I think setting up the tent is the least priority. And by that point you're just exhausted and you're like, you know what? There's shelter space. I'm going to just sleep here. Right. Yeah. This is what it's made for. Right. That being said, I, I much more prefer the tent. Interesting. But that didn't, I guess because of exhaustion or whatever, it, that didn't change your, your habit in the lower, the lower portion. Yeah. And, um, I think I was like somewhat, I thought, I, I thought just because it was colder sleeping in the shelter near people had like this kind of illusion of warmth. But now that I look back, I think the tent sleeping in the tent probably insulates my heat better and keeps myself more warm mm-hmm. as opposed to sleeping out in like a open three walled right like a lean to yeah exactly what was your sleep system like so i had the 20 degree yeah i think it's a 20 degree enlightened equipment down quilt so you have basically you can uncinch it and unclip it and it becomes a blanket Mm -hmm. um so that was my quilt system or my uh sleeping bag i guess and I had uh, a blow-up Thermarest X-Lite. Okay. And that was great, but I got some holes in it, and I'm a lazy person. I just decided I was going to switch to the foam pad, the Z-Lite. Mm-hmm. So that's what I use now. And then I sat on a pile of clothes for my pillow. I think that was my pillow. Okay. And eventually my pillow became my rain fly when I ran out of clothes because <laughs> by the end of it, you're just like, it gets hot out and your clothes, your hiking clothes, you get your hiking clothes and then your like laundry clothes, which is just right. the day that you're cleaning those hiking clothes because they're covered in salt. Was it, was the quilt warm enough for you? I mean, cause I, I saw pictures and you had some snow and you started beginning of March. <laughs> so it was fairly early. Uh, it was, it was warm enough, but I, I did learn how to, um, keep the drafts out like you kind of want to take the end where you cinch it and you want to like tuck that under your feet a little bit 
And then you just want to make sure you don't move too much in the night. So I think honestly in the, in a colder environment, excuse me, uh, the quilt is probably not the best choice, but you definitely want like a, a mummy bag or something below 10 degrees, but it's definitely suitable for, um, 15 and above, I would say. 15 degrees. Yeah. 15 degrees okay. and above. Got it. Okay. Um, and yeah, my coldest night on the AT, I think was nine degrees and it was, you know, you could feel it a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. I slept, I slept well enough. I, I mean, well enough, but that night I was sleeping next to this five-year-old kid who was the loudest snorer I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> and every time my music stopped playing. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. The, the old people on the trail, when I, when they knew he was coming, they, it was like, it ruined their day. Like <laughs> just the thought of him approaching camp slowly while they're, all getting ready to settle in and then and then over the horizon is is the kid yeah they <laughs> they did not like that no no one did but i mean you know was, was it, the, was it's your his, choice to sleep in the shelter true true was he and his parent or whatever hiking through hiking the entire trail um yes he was with his mom okay. i believe and um what was it? it was like mama bear and Littlefoot were their names Okay. And I think they made it pretty far, actually, but they had to get it off for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. I didn't keep up with them because I just got ahead, and you know, there's 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 over there's two thousand people hiking the trail, so yeah, it's hard to keep up with all of them. Uh, it's impossible. Do you know what number you are when you you were when you started the trail versus when you got to Harper's Ferry? I don't know what I was when I started the trail because I didn't go to the. Um, uh, I'm not, I'm not actually sure what it's called. I didn't, I didn't do the approach trail. Okay. Um, so I didn't sign in there. So I'm not exactly sure my number, but when I got to Harper, Harper's Ferry, I was uh number 187. Okay. And I do remember that. And then I was about 200 and I want to say 30 as far as finishers go. So I, I was, I would say I was ahead of the pack. Yeah. You, did you feel like you were in the bubble at all? No, I was kind of in my own bubble. Really, we were we had our little micro bubble. I feel like I feel like from the outside looking in, maybe our group was probably kind of annoying because there was like a solid eight or ten of us just you know approaching that shelter like a like a flock of birds or something. But we, I think we got to a point where we just started camping on our own as well and avoiding uh, the other hikers just out of respect. And because I, I honestly think the best campsites on the AT are not at the shelters. The shelters are just the most convenient because they almost always have a water source and a privy mm-hmm. and a lean to. So if it's raining, hell yeah, get in that shelter. But uh, on those nice days, find a good camping spot and enjoy that experience because getting to New Hampshire, well, now getting to Maine, especially Vermont and Maine were the best places for camping. New Hampshire was a little bit tougher because you're going through the white and a lot of those mountains, you you get into the Alpine areas and camping in the Alpine, not the best idea and probably not something they want you to do anyway. Why? Alpine vegetation is very fragile. So Mm. like any, any footstep, if you step foot on an Alpine plant, you will see the impact as far as I know, maybe it's mm-hmm. kind of like 
as time more people step on it but it's it's very easy to damage and i'm not sure the numbers on how much alpine vegetation exists on the east coast but it's basically just maine and new hampshire and then you don't get any more alpine until you get to what the rockies yeah probably like upper rockies high elevation yeah and uh i mean i'm in alaska right now so like Alpine vegetation up here is just so incredible. Just all these little flowers that look like bells. And then you get like the purple lupins everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you'll have these meadows. Yeah. This is when you see the signs everywhere that say stay on the trail. Yeah, exactly. It's like, do not go off the trail. Protect the Alpine vegetation. Yep. Um, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, it's that the whole idea is just to protect it for everyone else, right? That is what our national parks are for, protecting them, for protecting land for future generations. You should read this. You should uh, do the uh, the commercial for it. The national parks protecting the land for future <laughs> generations. The, the, yeah, protect our land for future generations, or else. Yeah. Or else. That's how I mostly feel about it. Or else we'll come back and we will haunt you. Yep. Amen. Yeah. What were you eating out there? Um, how was your diet? <laughs> terrible. Absolutely awful. So bad. You can, de- you can definitely feel having a poor diet towards the end. Not having enough vegetables and protein uh, will really make you suffer. Especially when it gets hot out. But my diet mostly at the beginning, it was fairly balanced aside from vegetables. But when I, whenever I got into town, I would always make sure to stock up on fruits and veggies just for the day, you know, just have like a grapefruit or something that maybe I would either eat in town or pack out. I think town days are the best days because you can load back up on the stuff you need. And then you can on your first day, bring all this good food before you switch to like nuts and cookies. That was my big thing. I loved cookies. It was every resupply was at least one pound of cookies. One pound, not one uh, package, but one pound. At least one pound. And, um, my, my, my diet ended up getting really bland because I would always cook, um, Spanish rice for dinner. And if it wasn't Spanish rice, then it was, chili ramen with some peanut butter mixed in kind of like the backpackers pad thai um, <laughs> oh my god it's, it's it's pretty good don't knock it till you try it <laughs> okay okay <laughs> and then my breakfast were usually oh yeah okay this is this is funny i started out as a no cook mm-hmm. so my breakfast were originally like pop tarts and just quick things to eat uh, eventually I got so sick of the pop tarts. I couldn't eat them anymore. So I switched <laughs> to oatmeal and you get those little instant packages. And what yeah. I would do with those is I would just pour the water into the package, mix it around a little bit, and then just spoon it into my mouth while it was still cold. I prefer it cold, honestly, not going to lie. I don't like the warm oatmeal. Also don't like the warm instant potatoes. I like the cold instant potatoes. I'm that kind of person. Ugh. Okay. I know. I can tell you try it. <laughs> Yeah, but that the reason why I got onto the cold Idahoans was that period of time when I uh, didn't have the wallet and Boots had given me some of hers. And I was like, well, I guess I just have to eat these cold. And I tried it. I was like, yeah, you know what? That wasn't that bad. <laughs> so 
So I did it a few times. Uh, I think uh, I think it was my dinners were it was either Idahoans, uh, chili ramen and peanut butter, or uh, Spanish rice. And cheese, that is a big one. Cheese is such an essential pack out item. Good protein, and it will improve the taste of anything. So I would do uh, habanero jack cheese, the uh, the Vermont cheese brand. I forget what it's called now. But they have a really nice um, lactose-free cheese brand based out of Vermont. And it's, it's damn good cheese. And I would usually always pack out cheese on my resupplies. And a bottle of hot sauce as well. And that usually consisted of us just kind of taking, buying one bottle and then splitting it between each other in like smaller um, plastic bottles. How how were you restocking? Like when you went into the stores, you would you know buy your 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 stuff, your food, and then would you put it into uh, like Ziplocs and I guess this little plastic yeah. bottle and yeah, actually, yeah, precisely. Usually, um, you put like it would be I think gallon or quarter gallon bags depends on what you have. I would take all my snacks package those into one big Ziploc. I'd have one Ziploc for trash. And then I'd have a zip just to organize everything like dinners, snacks, cookies, um, all of that. And I would repackage them into the Ziplocs um, where I could. Stuff like Little Debbie snacks, like the honey buns and stuff. Obviously, I wouldn't take those out of the packages just because they're really sugary you don't want them kind of fusing together in there when things get a little uh, soggy. Right. But yeah, it was, it was that. It was doing that and organizing your, your snacks, your breakfast, dinners, et cetera. Um, it's kind of, that was kind of the system. And yeah, a lot of candy. A lot of candy. Your body, your body will crave it. How long did it take for your body to crave um, maybe like two days. And then I was like, Oh, I could really go for a soda right now. <laughs> um, Interesting. I, I, yeah, but I think you, that, that was one of the things going back to that, like beginning question of what I wasn't ex- like what I, um, experienced versus what I expected. Mm-hmm. I definitely experienced those points of, uh, getting sick of certain types of food and just n- not wanting to or not being able to eat it. There were some foods that if I put it in my mouth, I would like gag and I just couldn't swallow. My body's like, no, not gonna no, do you're not doing that. <laughs> like yeah. what were some of those so foods? I think one of the big things, uh, peanut butter. Well, yeah, peanut butter. I could not eat peanut butter alone uh, or like, on anything dry. It had to be mixed into something. So I'd mix it into my oatmeal or my ramen just as like a, you know, as a caloric and a protein supplement was why I had the peanut butter. I didn't like it, but when you mix it with your oatmeal or your ramen, you don't really taste it that much. It kind of, it helps it. But Mm -hmm. if I had it on like a cracker or anything, that cracker was just going to fall out of my mouth because my body (laughs) refused to chew. What what other foods? Yeah, um, gummies like the um, those little watermelon sour patch kids. Those were uh-huh. a really good one, um, but I got sick of those pretty quickly. 
and um, a lot of the little Debbies I got sick of. Oh, and the Pop Tarts for sure. I will never eat another Pop Tart again. <laughs> they are dead to you. Yeah, and they also they have these stupid experimental flavors with Pop Tarts, like Jolly Rancher flavored Pop Tarts. I don't know whose ideas who these ideas belong to, but man, something is wrong with us Americans. <laughs> like Australia does not have this shit going on for them. They do not have lime green pop tarts. I will tell you that much. There's no market for that out there. But yeah, one of the things I did like the most, um, was just having a, a Coca-Cola on the trail. That was, um, probably the most refreshing beverage I could have. Cause you just drink water all the time. Or if you're not me, coffee or tea or something like that, something smart, mm-hmm. um, something that helps you go. I didn't really drink coffee on the trail at all. Were you, are you a coffee drinker off the trail? Um, yeah, usually uh, I've toned it back though. Cause I've been drinking coffee, uh, almost every day in large quantities. So I've kind of cut it out a little bit more, but mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, I was considering brewing a cup of coffee before uh, this conversation began. <laughs> yeah, I, I, in talking with people, coffee, interestingly enough, seems to be the thing that they will sacrifice to have. Yeah, definitely. I think the best thing to do on a thrill hike is to have as few vices as possible because coffee is a big one. Yeah. And it does get you going. It, like you, you'd have that. It's it's like that that little that bit of comfort. That morning coffee, you just sip that, mm-hmm. warms your body up, and just kind of relax in the morning. <laughs> we're, but, we're painting an image. But I was very much, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm just picturing myself like sitting on a log during this while the, like the the sun rises and there's like mm-hmm. this nice little mist in the woods. Exactly. Uh, but there was there was a little bit of a thing I was known for and that was Dunkin' Donuts because uh, I'm from New England. So my, one of my trail goals was just to hit up every single Dunkin' Donuts along the way. And there is a period between Gatlinburg, Tennessee and uh, all the way to, I think, Port Royal, Virginia. So near the end of Virginia, right after the Shenandoahs, there are no Dunkin' Donuts on the trail. And those two Dunkin' Donuts in particular are the two worst Dunkin' Donuts I've ever been to. So if you're a Dunkin' Donuts fan like I am, don't go to those places. It will it will hurt you, huh? You, you, will, you will realize that people in the South have absolutely no idea what coffee is. Um, <laughs> in those brands in particular. Right. <laughs> it, it's bad. It's basically just sugar water with a, a hint of coffee. Yeah. What what was your trail name? It was it well it was the machine, but I think I prefer regular old machine because I I, I think it's just a little egotistical to put a V as a prefix. <laughs> like I'm I'm just a guy, you know, I'm just a dude. Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't that and it gave people like this idea upon meeting me that I'm like cranking out miles or something. It was kind of true at the beginning. Like I did my, my first day with the, with the 21 miles of road walking right. and then the nine miles of actual trail, uh, 30 miles on day one of just 
continuous walking, that was kind of where people were like, whoa, something's wrong with this guy. But I, I became more humbled as time went on. I did do the four state challenge though with uh, most of my trail family. When did you get the, the trail name? Right from the beginning? Um, I think, yeah, kind of right at the beginning. Cause I can, I can remember this very clearly. I was, I just made it to, um, Neil's gap and they had these little, um, cabins off, off of the trail down the road, about a mile or two, um, that you could, I think it was 80 bucks a night and a lot of people would split it four ways. So I met these three guys and we all split a cabin together. And of course they all had trail names and I didn't. And, um, we were sharing stories and experiences and they saw, or they, I told them about how I did 30 miles on that first day. And this one guy, Tim cup is like, wow, dude, you're a machine. Oh, you know what? That's what I'm going to call you. You're the machine. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I kind of like that. But like my, my last name is lean. So I've, I've heard it before. And then the next day we were in this shelter together and this couple, they were doing a section hike. And for some reason they're trying to hang a bear bag inside of the shelter, like doing the, <laughs> the bear bag process. I, I know. <laughs> and they throw the rock over the rafters and it just hits me in the head. And I just blink and I look and I'm like, what was that? Was that like a tissue or something? What just hit me? And there's just this rock right next to me. And they both have this look of horror on their face. Like they just like killed someone accidentally. And they're like, oh my God, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. And then Tin Cup is over there looking at me and my reaction. He's, and he's wide-eyed just going, you are the machine. And I think that's when it kind of started to stick. Because he, he, he just didn't think I was a human anymore. I just, I just have a thick skull, honestly. <laughs> And is that where sort of the Instagram handle came from or did you change it at yeah. that point? Uh, no. Well, yeah, that's, that's when I changed it. And then I'm like looking at my name and I'm just like, I want to do March of the machine because it's such like a, it's like a triple entendre. Like mm-hmm. I started in March, I'm marching forward and actually, no, it's just a double entendre. And then, um, <laughs> Actually, no, there was, there was this thing. It was, um, cause I like to play video games. There's this one, this one character who has a spell called March of the machine or March of the machines. And he just sends mm-hmm. a little bunch of little robots at you. So that's where I got that name from. Okay. Or nice. where I got that, that, uh, handle from. Right. The Instagram part of it. Yeah. But then I started applying more meaning to it. <laughs> what was, what was your hardest time on trail? If, if other than the wallet experience, which I would put as um, tied for number one, it was when I got to Maine because tra- traveling from Gorham to Andover is not a welcoming a welcoming experience in the Maine. When you leave Gorham, you're doing some of the hardest pieces of the trail. Like that section is probably the hardest one because it's not as rewarding as the whites are and it is just as difficult. And other than Mahusik notch, it's just straight up and down and you're climbing like 
refrigerator sized boulders and all these erratics left behind by glaciers. And it was insane just how difficult it was. So it felt like by going, like, it felt like I, it's like you open the door to your house for the first time and there's someone there and they just kick you. Like, that's the first <laughs> thing they do. They don't even say hi. And so my reaction Maine was, you? Got in, yeah, Maine just kicked my ass. When we got in there, like, we crossed the state line and they're like, how does it feel to be back home? I'm just like, I felt like, I feel like I've been home since we left that town in New Hampshire because it was rough. Yeah, I wish I could remember what made it so difficult. But you actually had Slider on the podcast, mm-hmm. and I met her during that section. Her, um, like her parents were hiking with her. I think they both like got off the trail immediately um, as soon as they got into Maine. Like they got to the first shelter, hiked down, and spent some money to get the hell out of there. <laughs> I said, "Okay, we're they done." Did not continue on. I do not blame them either. Um, if any of my, if any of my trail fam- family listens to this, then I'm sorry, but we took a shelter zero when we got into Maine, we got to the first shelter. It rained overnight. And when we woke up, um, they were going over like, all right, here's the distances to the next shelter. And I was just like, how about we just walk like 50 feet to that shelter and stay there. <laughs> and everyone agreed we just unanimously agreed to do it so we just stayed in the shelter for a whole day and that was such a stupid mistake uh but it was definitely an experience uh because i was lying down the whole time and i think that kind of like messed up my back a little bit so the next few days were painful um in my back which wasn't too common on the trail for me so it's almost like it tightened up on you or something yeah, I think so. I think just like lying around and not doing anything. Yeah, it made it tighten up and really sore. Because I, I used to just sit on my computer chair all the time. And once in a while, my back would start to hurt. And that was when I knew I wasn't being active and not doing anything. And that was what that felt like. Mm, okay. How how was your body overall? It was Okay. Uh, I didn't get too many blisters and I think the pain, you just kind of, you numb yourself to it. But, um, yeah, I think my body did pretty well. I didn't even, I didn't lose any weight either. Like I had a, I had an interesting experience. I thought I would lose more weight doing that. It just kind of turned into muscle, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. You feel powerful by the end. But you know, everyone's going to tell you that like all the men that hike the trail, they they leave the trail like war survive like someone who's survived like a a war crime. And mm-hmm. all the women just end the trail like beautiful and fit and sexy. Like their their bodies <laughs> just shape perfectly. Whereas men we just like get all emaciated and like crow's eyes and every, or crow's feet and everything mm-hmm. like just wrinkly it's like you age that was the big thing you age by the end of the third hike is that just from the the sheer calorie restriction and that kind of thing or is it being out in the the weather the conditions that much or 
I think it's, I think it's exhaustion. I think you're, okay. you're just pushing your body forward and it's, it's, it gets t- more and more tired. Um, and it, it'll let you know that, but yeah, mostly, mostly the exhaustion and you definitely get a lot of sunlight too. And I think, I think that has something to do with it. I don't think a lot of people are out there bringing sunscreen with them all the time in on the AT. Anyway, you don't mm-hmm. really need sunscreen on the Appalachian trail because it's mostly, um, canopy cover. Okay. Or wet um, or rain. And, yeah. Well, that was the thing is it was, it was, it was pretty rainy in the South, but man, we had three points where we got like a white sprinkle. Okay. We got like one solid rain for about 10 minutes and then two days of like sprinkle. And that was it for rain in Maine. Uh, and then New Hampshire, we did the whole, um, president, like all the whites, we got started the whites and finished the whites with very little bad weather just really lucky. My joke was that I had sacrificed my firstborn for good weather, um, in the white. And everybody around you thanked you. Yes, they did. You guys are welcome. <laughs> um, everyone who was in the whites at that time is welcome. Um, but we terrible weather in the Shenandoahs, terrible weather in the Smokies. Uh, so it was, it was a good payoff, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the whites, definitely best part one of the best parts uh, but Maine has some really good um surprising sections where you're just like wow this is this is the, this is the Appalachian Trail I I personally believe that going northbound is the way to do it because you, it's kind of like the natural progression into the climax of the story I couldn't imagine doing the southbound where you just have like the hardest parts of the trail right at the beginning right and then you do all of that and then you go into Pennsylvania and all those places when the water isn't as good either. It's definitely something I I wouldn't want to do. Yeah. And yeah. And just like not as much trail magic. Right. Because their fault, their trail magic is more thinking about the Northbounders. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and it happens to sit kind of the same way I think on the PCT as well, because everybody's mind immediately goes to the Northbounders. Mm-hmm. And PCT Sobos are like another breed. They're different than the AT yeah. Sobos because who the hell is doing the PCT Sobo? <laughs> There's a few. There are a few, and I commend you guys. Yes. So what was your best moment on trail or, or that moment where it sort of all came together and crystallized for you into this experience? Um, hmm. I think... Oh, actually, yeah, no, I, I, I'll be, I have two examples. The first one was like my best, like trail moment, like the, the most Appalachian trail thing where I started hiking with this group and it was the week between Irwin and Damascus or however many days that was. Um, yeah, almost a week. So we left Irwin, Tennessee and you you get like these really cool sections of the trail, like the Rhone Highlands and you make a mountain and they have over mountain shelter, which is this big, huge barn that's been turned into a, a shelter and has an amazing view. And you go to this, like one, there's the, the option between these two trail towns. And I went towards 
the one that had this really good sounding barbecue. And I forget the name of it now, but I got this huge burger and I ate the whole burger and they have these amazing milkshakes and they're like 32 ounces. And I had two of those and my, my body was full after that. And then I had the hike. <laughs> um, and then you, you go through these waterfalls and these rivers and these awesome hills, lakes, like just everything that's good about Tennessee and North Carolina is in that section. And then you got um, Bob Peoples Hostel, Kincora, which is, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about that one. You just got to figure that one on your own. <laughs> okay. But he does have a bunch of cats there. So that is your hint. Um, <laughs> and it's donation based. And then, and then going into Damascus is just an awesome feeling. Just leaving those two, um, states and entering Virginia is a great feeling. And Damascus is also a really cool trail town. That well, was my why is it so favorite cool? moment. Heading into Damascus or being... I think um, why going into Damascus is so cool is because it's like you leave the state line and then you walk into this town and you get a few of these towns on the AT where walking through them, you're still hiking the Appalachian Trail. Like being on that sidewalk, okay. you're doing miles. Um, right. And it's, got, it's all surrounding the hiker community. They got trail days there too. And um, they have a couple of good restaurants they had one uh, Mexican joint, but they got closed down because the owners were racist. And they, <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but they basically some person recorded them like chasing him out of their restaurant. No, and then like two that. days later, yeah, that was a weird thing. And then they shut down the restaurant shortly after. And there's a, there's a few hostels as well. And yeah, it's, it's what a trail town should be. Very accommodating towards the hikers and mm -hmm. a pizza buffet. You got a pizza buffet. You got a buffet in your town. Hell yeah. I'm going to hit that up. Um, it's like a horde of locusts. That's the best part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, we need more pizza. Oh, and that, that pizza buffet, they had, a, they had a dessert pizza that was basically like a raspberry Danish. Oof. Ay, ay, ay. Be still <laughs> my beating heart. Um yeah. And that was an amazing, and that was when I really came into the group. That was when I really felt like, um, I belonged with them and that, that was where I, I decided I was going to keep hiking with them. And then you go into the Grayson Highlands right after, which is awesome. Just ponies. Yeah. The other one was climbing Franconia Ridge in New Hampshire. Cause that's the first time you go above Alpine. That was when I was, that's when I fell in love with mountains. You see the trail ahead of you. And it's like, it is, that was the first time I ever had an experience like that. And it blew my mind. And climbing Mount Lafayette is an experience. How so? Um, I mean, it's, it's a little, it's rough, but it's not too bad. You're kind of basically climbing a staircase. But once you go above the tree line and you can just see the trail, like for a couple miles, you can see the line of the trail and where you have to go and, how you follow it and you just have views on all around each side. I mean, granted the weather was amazing when we were up there, but we got to the top. Um, my friend and I snuck down behind this little cliff and I, I've talked to other people about this little spot, but we, we sat there for a couple hours and enjoyed our time. And then when we got back, like it was quiet all of a sudden we got back up and where we were, 
was we couldn't hear it or feel it or know what was going on. But there was wind just gusting from behind us. So it got quiet because everyone bailed. And all of a sudden, we get like 40 mile per hour winds basically blowing us uh, off of our footing. And I was just in love with that. Cause I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is nature just saying, get out of here. <laughs> like, get off my mountain. This is nature showing you who's boss. Yeah, exactly. That's, it's a, it's a humbling moment when you realize just how um, not powerful we are as humans. Yeah. Like, the, the earth is in control. So you guys, you walked through Damascus as, mm-hmm. um, as part of the hike and then you guys actually made it back for trail days, right? Yeah, yeah, right. That was funny. That was a weird experience because the whole thing was we wanted to go to trail days, but we were putting in miles and because we started so early. Damascus was about 600 trail miles behind us when we got to the point. And it basically became the thing was unless a bus meets us, at this point, it brings us to trail days. There is no way we get there. And that was exactly what happened. <laughs> um, there just happened to be this uh, school bus. Uh, one that, not Odie, but um, one of his fellow, one of his fellow bus life friends, uh, Barbarossa was the one who brought us and our entire trail family all the way back to Virginia. And we, all, we pitched in for gas also. Mm-hmm obviously. And that was, that's cool. That was a fun experience trail days, but like, I feel like trail days, it's a festival, you know, after a couple of days, you just want to leave. Right. <laughs> you want to get any, back on the trail. Any kind of, yeah. You want to get back on the trail. You've just been hanging out. I mean, Virginia, the, the, the thing with trail days is that it always rains and when it rains, it pours. <laughs> and that is exactly what happened. And I, I was just, sitting on the sidewalk watching this lightning storm roll in just completely captivated by it and then as it got closer and closer i was like wait a minute this is coming towards us and fled back to my tent and then the next day there was just this downpour right during the parade as soon as that parade started it just pissed rain on everything and then when i got back to my tent my tent was just floating in this giant puddle Uh. So, so it was uh, kind of a funny experience. Luckily, it all it all drained out rather quickly, and then everything got really hot and muggy and just swampy. And also, I watched some some people that had met they had met at Springer Mountain, and were now in Damascus getting married. Hopefully, they made it all the way together. <laughs> Because they didn't, that marriage did not last. I kind of wonder yeah. what happened after that. That was a weird. And then you know what? <laughs> this is like the the hiker trash fucking. Oh, sorry, uh, wedding special. Just two people getting married to each other, wearing chacos, while the uh, the look the priest. I'm not sure what you call them. Uh, is wearing a Hawaiian shirt, also wearing Chacos, sunglasses. And then as they say, I do, they both lock arms and shotgun a beer. Um, That was the wedding I went. Yeah. (laughs) It was, I was like, at first I was, by the end of it, I was like, 
was this like an advertisement for Chaco's? Like, what did I just witness? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, well, and speaking about, speaking of hiker trash, um, there was, you had quite the interesting ensemble out there as well. Looking at, looking at your pictures from Instagram, you had, there was one of them where you have, um, your Hawaiian shirt on and then you have these, uh, what is it? Short shorts. Yeah, like they're board shorts, but like pink something board shorts. Oh, yeah. I picked those up in Massachusetts. I wish they'd fit better because I would have loved to just wear those while I was hiking, but they ended up being a little too loose. Uh, so those became my, my, um, camp, well, not my camp shorts, my, uh, laundry shorts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the pink frogs with like the, um, yeah, what, what is that, that, that sport? Yeah, exactly. Pink shorts, green frogs, and then they're holding like polo sticks. And I then my wine shirt. Yeah, lacrosse, exactly. Um, yeah, and then my Hawaiian shirt had a bunch of dogs and margaritas with dog-themed margarita recipes on it. Oh, my God. I got those both from the same place. I know, such a good pickup. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Hawaiian shirt. But the thing is, is those Hawaiian shirts are not the most pleasant thing to hike in initially because it's made out of like some material called like radon or something like that or i don't know it sounds like a an element uh, but it's something like that and it's a very um vague material i do think polyester is probably the way to go when you're hiking in hot weather because but after a while you just get used to it what was your trail clothes to begin with like normal stuff, like uh, pants and like Columbia. I want to say they had the Columbia pants, uh, just a pair of shorts. I don't remember the material on the pants or the shorts, but it was some kind of polyester based material. Mm-hmm. Um, like quick drying or weird, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Just quick dry stuff. And they, they, they were definitely quick dry. I miss those pants. Um, <laughs> I don't know what happened to them. I think, I think they just ended up getting shredded at some point. You know, you, you had this point with your clothing and I, I think I, re- I recommend is just sending stuff home. Cause it's probably worth it rather than putting it in a hiker box. Cause that's what I did pretty often is I would just put the clothes I no longer needed in hiker boxes as the weather changed. Uh, then I had some leggings made out of wool. I had a Merino wool, uh, base layer from smart wool. And then, like, this old um, Scouts kind of windbreaker and rain jacket. And that was pretty good, but it was bright red, and I did not like that. And then something else. <sighs> Just some kind of, oh, yeah, like a, like a hoodie that I bought in um, North Carolina because I knew it was going to start getting really cold, and I just wanted an extra layer as well as another long sleeve and then like a regular t-shirt. And a lot of my stuff was from like Goodwill. Like I got it secondhand. I didn't spend too much money on the clothing. What was the first thing that you dropped? Like that, that you had taken uh, with you that you thought you'd need. And then you're like, Nope, I really don't need this. Uh, I had a couple, like I had a, two pairs of socks that weren't my darn toughs. That were more of like a, um, not waterproof, but quick dry, like thin. So 
socks. Mm-hmm. So I got rid of those and then I got rid of my, my journal, unfortunately, but I think at a certain point you just get so, you don't want to take your, your little notebook out and write. You just kind of want to relax. And if you do want to write a lot of people, they just uh, jot down notes in their phone, uh, right. which makes a lot more sense. Those were two of the things I got rid of initially. And that was like my day four, uh, I'm carrying way too much weight and I'm by myself and I'm, I'm a jerk. So I just, this is, and this is back early on. I would never do this again, but I, I basically started my own fire and then started burning stuff <laughs> because I didn't want to carry it. I was like, no, no more of this. And I probably showed maybe a couple of pounds of just trash that I didn't need. Uh, well, my notebooks and my, my yeah. socks. That's kind of desperate measures to just start burning it. <laughs> I think I think you just go a little like mad with carrying all that weight up the hill, and then it's like it's like gravity is just pulling you down the whole way. So I had I, w- I, w- I would have rather just thrown it away, but at my mental state at that night, I w- it was the first time I camped by myself too. So day four, I was camping by myself after I left Helen, and. I was scared because I just heard coyotes in every direction. And I was like, oh, crap. This is how I die. Coyotes. <laughs> that, was, that was a common theme. Was every time I was by myself, it's like something something happens out of the ordinary. I'm like, well, this is where I die. <laughs> you were a glass half full kind of guy, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe a little bit. I want to I want to say there's some more stuff I burned in that whole situation, but... Uh, that was, uh, I, I owe the trail some cleaning. I got to pay that forward. I think. There you go. Yeah. I do pick up trash now whenever I can. Perfect. You were, and you were doing a, a cleansing of sorts. Yeah, I, I was I was cleansing myself of unnecessary weight. Both, uh, literally and figuratively, I think. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. But I, I don't know. I think uh, it was mostly clothing that I dropped as time went on. And once I had got my base weight down pretty well, that's when I was like, all right, got some more room for some more stuff. And then I started um, getting some things. Like I got a, a portable battery pack, which I definitely recommend getting a nice, a nice thick charger. If you take that like an anchor pictures. charger or something? Yeah. Yeah, mine is, um, I got it from Best Buy. It was just an Insignia brand, which okay. is like their, their, their store brand. Um, but I got like a 15 milliamp one, 15,000 milliamp one. So like good for yeah. four to five phone charges. And that's because I was carrying a little MP3 player. But I realized I didn't need the MP3 player. I actually traded my MP3 player for a Spotify subscription. Because... When you have that MP3 player, that was my music. I, I wasn't. There's no way I got more music. Uh, you can on in libraries do some stuff. Like I definitely downloaded some audiobooks, but I realized that having a Spotify subscription just opens you up to so much stuff because now you can download music, now you can um, cycle through music that you say you don't like it, so you. Just, download something new, get rid of some old stuff that you don't want to listen to anymore. 
and then you have access to podcasts as well. That's when I really started listening to podcasts for the, like, yeah, like when I actually started listening to podcasts, I mean, my friends and I did our own podcast, but I never listened to them. I just like to talk <laughs> with my friends about video games. <laughs> oh, there's an, there's an ironic moment in there somewhere. I'm sure about it. Yeah, definitely. But that's the, that's stuff that really helps. Um, having entertainment. Some people do Netflix, they download stuff. And then when they can't watch a TV show, that almost feels blasphemous. Honestly, it does. Doesn't it? I never did the yeah. movies, but without the music, I would have gone crazy. Cause the thoughts in your head, sometimes they get so loud that you just have to drown them out. Yeah. I thought thinking like having time to think would be good, but it wasn't like my mind is very much my enemy. Did you work through things while on the trail or did you? Um, I, I kind, kind of, I think. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I, I definitely uh, achieved some solidarity or solitude um, with myself. Like towards the end, I actually, I stopped listening to music as often just because I, I started to enjoy the sounds of nature and I wasn't really thinking as much, but there were times where I would start to think about the future and I would get a little, um, heartbroken. Like I, there was one point where I just started crying because I knew, I knew subconsciously that when I returned home, things were going to be different and that I was going to be different. And that affected me personally because I wasn't sure how to, I, w I wasn't sure how I was going to connect with my friends. I basically gave up all the stuff to do this uh, journey. And a big thing in my life before then was playing video games. And I, I don't play video games anymore. Yeah. When, when you had that moment, did it scare you? Were you excited? I think I, I was scared definitely more than anything. I, I didn't think this, this, my life would become what it is now. And every, every step I take something on that, on that step influences me to the next step. And that's why I ended up in Australia and New Zealand because where I work, we stop in the Yukon in Canada. My, my tours go all the way up into Canada. And at that place, there were all of these, seasonal workers who are on this thing called the work and holiday visa. I had I'd never heard of that before, but basically you, you get this visa for people younger than 30 or 35. And it gives you one year to work in another country and to travel and visit and uh, do whatever you want before you have to leave. So you, it's a working visa. It's not a big process to get. It's pretty easy right. to get actually. So I did that for New Zealand and I decided I was just going to see what Australia was like because there were so many Australians doing that. And they just had this positive, happy demeanor all the time. I loved it. Uh, but then I realized it was just those types of people that had been on those visas and being out in Canada was what really made them happy. <laughs> yeah. But Australians are pretty awesome. I do love Auss Aussies. Yeah, Australians are, are pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you feel like that we haven't talked about, but we should? Yeah. Why do you want to do the PCT? Why do I want to do the PCT? 
Yeah, like what is what is I I love to challenge myself. And Awesome. I I guess I've challenged myself a lot mentally in the last ten years or so, but I've kind of gotten away mm-hmm. from challenging myself physically. Um okay. and next year will be my 50th birthday. And and so it's kind of like that moment of proving to myself that I, I, to some extent that I still got it. If you want to yeah. say it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That's a good, good reason. And I know it's interesting. Like I, I work in the film business. Um, I work in entertainment and it took me a really long time in my work to go from being at a company, at a job, um, you know, you, you worked nine to nine to five, nine to six, you knew where you were going the next day, you knew what your job was and so forth to making that jump into freelance and, and working job to job and working, you know, show to show. Yeah. And on some level doing this hike is sort of like that ultimate, like you were talking about, um, it's the ultimate step off of the ledge, but having faith that there will be something there to catch you. Yeah. Um, and I, and I want to experience what's on the other side of that. Right on. Yeah. Cause I, I know this podcast is kind of about like you learning from these people who have had this experience before. As you go into this one, did you have like, was it the PCT itself or did you have like a moment growing up where you were hiking or something and the, the, the PCT really called you? Is it, it's like a West coast thing. Um, it's, it's funny in that respect because I, the first trail that I ever heard about was the AT. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've actually, during a road trip that I took 10 plus years ago, I visited Harper's Ferry and, you know, took, took some steps onto, on the AT, uh, in Tennessee and, and kind of that thing. And in doing that, I think it opened me up to the idea of the long, of the long trails. But Mm -hmm. I'm a West Coast girl. I am born and Mm -hmm. bred and raised and I am a West Coast girl. I am a big open countries girl. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the idea of the PCT fit better with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's sort of, it's all come together sort of at one point at the same time in terms of I'm turning 50. I'm, I'm playing more in my creative. I've started this podcast. Um, I'm excited about taking chances as opposed to afraid of taking chances. Um, and, you know, sort of going away for six months is, is sort of an embodiment of that. But I also recently had a friend die, um, about, what's it been about seven months ago. And Uh yeah, and, and she was the person that I had actually been speaking to throughout the years about the trail and about doing the trail. And, and she would always joke that she would help me, you know, resupply and she would, she would do that. She would be the, the logistical center for me. Mm-hmm. And with her dying, 
it sort of became almost more imperative to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I actually have some of her ashes and she'll, she'll go with me on the, on the long walk. So that I, I, I love that. That is it now. Yeah. I just, now she is a part of, now she is literally a part of your journey. Exactly. In that way. Yeah. And that's, I guess that was a thing with me too, is that I saw this moment. And I, I mean, I guess it's like, I'm, I'm like the halfway of the halfway, you know, when I got to 25, I was like, I should, I should take that leap. It was like my quarter, my quarter life crisis mm-hmm. in a way. And I was going through, <laughs> I was going through some heartbreak uh, before, mm-hmm. when I decided that the AT was my, um, my goal. Yeah. I think people don't generally go to the trail because they're happy go lucky and, and everything's working out and you know, there's something that draws them there. Absolutely. And then from everybody that I've talked to you included, what you get from the trail from height, from walking that trail is maybe what you went to the trail for in the first place, but also then so much more than you could ever have conceived of when you first stepped foot on the trail. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the biggest thing about the trail is that you take with you so many lessons that you weren't expecting. Yeah. And that is, that is part of how amazing it is. Definitely the, one of the coolest things anyone could do is a long distance hike like that. Like the AT, the PCT, the CDT, even the Arizona trail or Tearoa just amazing mm-hmm. experiences and they it's like it's, it's like a fantasy it's it's the closest thing we can get in this modern society one of the closest things to like a fantasy-esque adventure like a like a wine witch in the wardrobe or like a you know the yeah. hobbit stuff, stuff like that you're going on a journey yeah exactly and it's, it's a magical journey no matter yeah. what yeah Thank you for asking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, I try to, I try to do my own little research on you <laughs> um, yeah. because I feel like that's appropriate, you know? Um, but I've been so busy up here in Alaska. I work almost every day and I, my challenge this week has been, I've, I've been hiking to a place called Upper Dewey Lake and back down every day today's day six and I'm exhausted from doing it, but I feel so good about myself now, now that I have done it, now that I know I can still do it and know that I can still, um, achieve my goals. That was kind of what I set out to do over this week. It was just kind of poor timing. So I, Mm -hmm. I I listened to some podcasts and I was like, I I still don't know why she wants to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. Is, is the is the hiking that you're doing in preparation for next year for the PCT or just stretching your legs? I think it's helping helping a little, stretching my legs. Actually, I I have a friend who I do it with, and she's a badass. She's one of the dog mushers here. Super intense. Like, I told her about that, and she was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that with you. And we've just been doing this and talking. And now she may do the PCT with me. She may join me on the PCT. And that seems like a very... Uh, real possibility that it will happen and that's so cool and like basically i i made one of my best friends up here just doing this silly little challenge 
<laughs> Nothing is silly. Yeah, you're right. Nothing is silly. But you do that. That hike is not the most entertaining of hikes. It is a brutal climb. Amazing view at the top and then boring all the way back down. And it's challenging. It's definitely a, not an easy trail. But yeah, Alaska. What a great place. Amazing place. I, I definitely want to visit. That is, that is one of the things on my list. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Alaska, like, I, I mean, just take the Al, like Alcan Highway or the Cassiar Highway, go up to Anchorage, maybe fly, well, depending on how you got there, maybe fly back or like take the, in, like the inside passage um, through these little Southeast Alaskan communities. And they have such a rich abundance of wildlife. There are bears everywhere. The salmon runs are so cool to watch. They got a, they got a bear up here called the, the glacier bear. And there's such a little scientific understanding of it that we don't really know much about it. Cause they're so rare, but they're essentially uh, a black bear that is blue. A blue bear. Blue bear. Yeah. I've just started learning about them um, for my tours. Wow. Now I'm, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to Google it. Yeah. They're, they're just super, they're super cool. Like you just said, I've learned so much. Up here. Are they a genetic anomaly or are they a matching of two gene pools or. It's like, yeah. So it's like two, two, it's like a, it's like a hair color. Basically you get the two genes. Mm-hmm. And you can have two black bears that have that gene and then a blue bear will come out. But it, I think it has to be like two matching genes. So it's very mm-hmm. rare for it to happen. Right. Interesting. Okay. I know what I'm researching next. Yeah. Blue right. Bears. Uh, I need a blue <laughs> bears. Uh, it's, it's a cool area. And I definitely recommend coming up sooner rather than later because now we're going through this drought. We have glaciers here, but, I'm I'm watching the glaciers pop up. They're going to get smaller and smaller every year. Pretty soon, you won't be able to yeah. see Mendenhall Glacier from the uh, visitor center uh, in Juneau. Yeah, and also Juneau. It's a, it's a town. You can, it's the capital of Alaska. You can only fly into it or take a ferry into it. There's no other options, or you're born into it, I guess. Yeah. No. That the I want to do. I want to my goal, my ultimate perfect, perfect, uh, trip or, or vacation or whatever would be to take a, uh, like a cruise ship or whatever from Seattle up, you know, through the inside passage up to uh, Anchorage or whatever, and Mm -hmm. then, uh, rent a car and come back down, uh, towards Vancouver and then road trip across like to Montreal. Yeah, that's awesome. I that love that idea. The ultimate. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be key. And and yeah, that that is the right way to do it. I think is to have basically use the cruise ship as kind of like this mobile hotel to get you to this yeah, one pretty place. Pretty much, and then yeah. Take the <laughs> from there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it sort of gets me into it. Gets me up. I see one side of Alaska or the, the coast, whatever, and then bop inside and, and do the, the land side. Yeah. And then do proper Alaska. Definitely. Yeah. I still haven't seen that. So. You should, I guess you don't have enough time. Left. I know. 
I, I can, I mean, when you get up here, you will understand the scope of Alaska. It is so big. I, I had enough time off to go to a place called Kluwani National Park, which is near the end of the Yukon, close to the um, um, St. Elias Wrangell Range, which is like, it's not where Denali is, but it's where the, the tallest mountains in the Yukon are, like some of the other tallest mountains in North America. And that was fantastic. It was amazing and beautiful, but it took us like six hours of driving just to get there. And we still weren't even at the border of Alaska. Yeah. No, Alaska is massive. It's astounding. Yeah. And it's so under, it's sort of like Canada in that respect, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the Northern area of Canada is so massive, but it's so unpopulated that, um, you don't really see it. Right. Yeah. Cause you only get these, these few roads going through it. And then there's all this land that you really have to find a way to explore. You have to get out there and take some time. Yeah. But that's what, that's what this life is for. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I am going to get ready because we got a big, party going on tonight in Skagway and I would like to attend that well go go party on Show notes and links for Joey's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Joey for sharing his stories from the trail and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. We would also love it if you would find us on your favorite podcast provider and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail. <laughs>